0: Worcester Culture Watch,
1: a podcast connecting you with the local culture scene in Worcester. Arts, entertainment, music, and more. Worcester Culture Watch from the
2: Worcester Telegram and Gazette.
3: Hello and you are listening to Worcester Culture Watch here on telegram.com and wister and as soon as we can talk them into it, baystateparent.com. Parent.com. No, they're never gonna they're never gonna let us put this podcast on Bay State Parent, are they? No, no, okay. Hi! <laughs> My name's Victor Ponte, I'm the entertainment editor for the Mr. Telegram Gazette and the content editor for Worcester magazine and the Bigfootologist editor for the Clinton item. So, yeah, hi. Um, I'm here in the studio today. It's a little different today. We're doing this. Um, we're here in the studio today with Telegram and Gazette reporter Craig Seaman. Hi, Craig.
2: Hey, uh, Victor. It's good to see you.
3: And hanging off in the wings of our studio, which is bigger than the Studio 508, a show about Wister uses, <laughs> Mr. Bill Shainer. Hello. Hello.
2: Award-winning.
3: The award-winning Bill Shader. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> uh, but um, so we have got um, kind of a rattlebag show going on here uh, on here today. But, Craig, you are here to talk to us about what's going to be on the cover of next week's Worcester Magazine. What's going on?
2: Yes. Hi, uh, Victor. Yeah, next week um, we have a story about the fact that the Who, the legendary Who – played Holy Cross College on October 17th, 1969, which next month will be specifically the, the 50th anniversary. And this show is historic for many reasons. The fact that A College got The Who at this point. This is two months after Woodstock. The Who was uh, torn around with the quintessential first rock opera, Tommy. So this is The Who at the height. Of their, their might, so to speak They were a visceral, raw, live band Arguably the greatest live rock and roll band Especially during that period And they just released, a few months earlier Their first of three back-to-back masterpieces, Tommy Which certainly was a game-changer in many aspects
3: yeah, definitely. You really de- the rock opera at that point. Well, I mean, that, that's that's the invention. That's really the... yeah. Nothing. I
2: mean, uh, I'm sure other.
3: I'm sure there were concept out. Moody of sorts. Blues mm. could
2: argue and eh. Kinks could argue, but this is when it was fully realized live on the stage, beginning to end. Yeah,
3: this that's where it feels like a real production, yeah. and it feels it feels like a comprehensive whole, in the live performance being not being an extension and obviously a reasonable. big
2: influence on people like. Andrew Lloyd Webber and Queen, yeah, Queen. <laughs> I mean, let's talk.
3: You know, the darlings of the uh, of the past who have having their moment in the sunshine again lately. Yes, but um, yeah. So what? How the
2: they had? You were telling us earlier that they had just appeared at Woodstock two months earlier to the day, August seventeenth. They appeared at Woodstock and at one of the few bands that actually got paid at Woodstock. And they came out incredible at Woodstock. I mean, everybody remembers the Hendrix thing, of course. Mm-hmm. But uh, The Who put on a phenomenal show. Also, uh, allegedly punched Worcester native Abby Hoffman, uh, who stuck up on stage. But this is an incredible time. And you got to realize The Who. Daltrey, who's the oldest guy in the band. Yeah. He's only 25. Wow. Keith Moon's twenty three and Townsend and that are so only twenty four so they're young men <laughs> playing to Holy Cross College, a, a college that you would not re- expect a band like the Who to play.
3: Hmm.
2: I mean, Clark had. I mean,
3: Clark had a bunch Clark, of them, Clark right? was
2: getting Hendrix. I mean, the year before yeah. and they've had a, a Jefferson Airplane. They've had a, some amazing talents there and Holy Cross College, to show the perspective, they also the same year got the Fifth Dimension. <laughs> Great band. It's true. But, uh, you know, that's, I mean, the spectrum on that, from hard rock to uh, popular music.
3: though <laughs> uh, I would argue probably at that particular moment in time, the Fifth Dimension was probably
2: actually oh, I, high, higher on the charts. Oh, <laughs> they certainly were. I mean, they, Age Aquarius, uh... Up, up and away. I mean they they were getting they were scoring number one hits. Yeah. So that- <laughs> the who was it? And uh, the who at this time before Tommy they were on the verge of breaking up, and they were in financial ruin. Yeah. So this this was a big deal for the band also, and uh, and it's incredible. I did a lot of detective work because. Our paper, uh, at the time we had two papers, but the tele- Worcester Telegram and the Evening that they didn't write anything about this. I mean, we probably were a little prudish at that time. And at the same time, we're talking a college show. This hmm. is a show at a college. So it's not like... And to put this in a more modern perspective for a second, it is sometimes
3: hard. Um, colleges will bring acts to the campus yeah. with the intention of it's just for their students, even though they might be technically right. open or technically open on the Woo Pass or whatever, or to, to college consortium. Yeah. Um, a few years ago, like maybe 10 years ago, maybe a bit more even, um, we tried hard to get a reviewer into Janelle Monet playing at Clark. Right. Uh, I don't remember. I don't think we actually managed.
2: Yes, yeah.
3: and it was hard. They just would not let us because it was their thing. So I don't know how much of it, it was we were prudish, though we were in the '60s. Well, we definitely and, were. And, uh, but, but, and but how and much what? there wasn't? A, I mean, uh, we ran. <laughs> we ran,
2: and I just did some digging in the archives yesterday about the opening man. Uh, we did. They did run paid ads in the paper. Oh, okay. Yeah, and it was a joint venture between Holy Cross and Clark University. Their first joint venture for a show. Uh, they the second time they only done it twice. The second time was Gladys Knight's night and the Pips, and didn't sell as nearly as well. And it was the second, and because of that, they never had a venture like that before. Tickets were three dollars and fifty cents. And uh, obviously sold out four thousand The tickets. Actually sold so quick that chances I'll, are the public didn't even. I looked for the you... tickets at Aero, at the Aerosmith at the Westboro Speedway. Oh, what was that? Uh, you put me on the spot. They, Sorry. Yeah, I
3: they weren't much. I know it's another cheap one. It's like when yeah. you hear these ticket prices and you compare them to now. It's. it's well, I mean, the first time I saw the
2: Who in '79, I think tickets were only twelve fifty if you could get them. Oh man! <laughs> I mean, it's amazing, but they were difficult to get, and way before the internet and all that stuff. Yeah, but uh, yeah, three fifty, and uh, it's incredible. And they booked them before they were outrageous. Even though it's the most that they ever paid for a show. And that was roughly seventeen thousand dollars to get the who there. They gave them a flat fee of like twelve thousand, and then there was uh, a agreement of getting proceeds from yeah. the door after a certain point. So it came to like seventeen thousand dollars. And the great thing about Holy Cross at the time—I don't know if this still exists—because they actually lost money on the show. Yeah, they had uh, they had worked into. The tuition that students would pay, like $100 for a hundred dollars for student activity fund. So the president of the uh, the eighteen forty three club actually worked it, in so they could uh, take money from that. <laughs> the guy knew what he was doing.
3: Yeah, definitely, definitely. <laughs> now I think that's part of the reason we don't see more of these big, huge bands on local campuses, which is kind of a shame, yeah. really. You know, but yeah, what the heck, right. But anyways, yeah, no, it is funny because like I was thinking about this before, uh, you know, today, how amazing it was that a concert like Woodstock, which we got to remember wasn't broadcast like Live Aid was on every TV station and, you know, it was not on the radio. And yet buzz from Woodstock spread like wildfire.
2: Yep. Well, I mean, the great thing—I mean, Woodstock, even though, and that anniversary, we we, we covered a, extensively a, a, a few months <laughs> back. Um, Woodstock, the, the height of the popularity, thankfully, had to do with the, the soundtrack album, yeah, and the movie, because, like you said, no one really covered it, and no one could predict that it was going to be that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, most of the people there went there without <laughs> provisions let's say yeah, and uh, they, and so uh, I mean you know, it's one reason why you never have another Woodstock I mean you can't plan for something like that and if you do it's usually not you just close. end
3: up with fire festival yeah. and that's all <laughs> it's all good All right. Well, man, so we've got The Who to look forward to, and there's another little bit coming up. Um, Do you want to tell us a little bit about the sidebar on
2: that? Yeah. Uh, So anyways, uh, like I said, I dug up on a lot of things. I got a lot of the key players, a lot of details, encounters with The Who at the show. But I also uh, talked to a David Schwartz, uh, who's a serious Who fan and collector, originally from Massachusetts, now lives in New York. He considers the Who concert poster for the Holy Cross College gig, as he put it, the Holy Grail of Who collectibles. And he is willing to pay $10,000, no joke.
3: Repeat, $10,000. Ten thousand $10, dollars. That's like six lattes at Starbucks.
2: For that <laughs> original concert poster. It might have been a couple hundred made, probably were put on the campuses at Clark and Holy Cross and various colleges. No one... Saved these, maybe someone did, uh, but he's been, uh, he's, he has every uh, who posted from the 60s uh, dealing with Massachusetts, Boston Tea Party, Music Hall, Tanglewood, uh, Commonwealth Armory. The only piece he's missing from the 60s is Holy Cross, and he's hoping that someone in Worcester or someone who went to Holy Cross has one of these put away.
3: Oh, well, hopefully something turns up.
2: Yeah.
3: <laughs> All right. Well, thank you again for joining us, Mr.
2: Seaman. It's always a pleasure.
3: Always a pleasure to have you here, up here. And we're going to take a short intermission to and to, I have lost my train of thought. All right. We're going to take a break. We're going to listen to Ghost by Annie Probes.
1: My eye on California Took a look at Arizona Thought about New York for a second chance I was feeling tied down in a small town Where the word always gets around And every step I take just knocked me down Well, my mind is pushing forward My heart is in the moment It's time for me To get up and leave So I'm moving out From the city I need the most And I'm moving out To a new home on the coast When I'm moving out So raise your glass and make a toast And that'll leave me Nothing but a ghost Well I met him on a Sunday And we hung out on a Monday On Thursday night he promised me the world So I packed it up to Boston Another world I could get lost in The happy ending I thought I deserved and my heart
3: You have been listening to Ghost by Annie Brobst. Annie will be performing later this month at the local Country Music Fest at Indian Ranch. That's going to be a lot of fun. A lot of actually really excellent uh, local and regional musicians playing at that and probably writing a little bit more about that later in the month. Mm -hmm. But we've been talking a lot about the future today. You know, next week's stories, stories later in the month. We're going to have a bit of a flashback because we are here with Bill Shainer.
0: Yes. We have gotten mean? rid
3: of Craig Seaman. He has been banished from the studio. <laughs> now
0: he had other things to do. I, I, I got one of those old-timey hooks, Ooh. And, I, and I hooked him off the stage. <laughs> no, 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 no. But
3: um, yeah, so um, for those who didn't notice the um, sentence at the bottom of the story on telegram.com the other day... Um, you have been awarded or going to be awarded a public occurrence award from the New England newspaper and press
0: Association
3: yes. so congratulations yeah
0: i'm I'm excited about that I was very happy to to hear that 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 went through um, and I yeah I this feels good. There, I, I think I personally think that that's the best story I've ever written in my career, and it feels nice to be uh, uh, noticed for it, I guess. Now, yeah.
3: that was the story that you wrote about sex
0: education in Worcester. Can you remind us sure. a little bit about yeah. that? Yeah, so the story was based off of uh, emails I had gotten from a public record request that showed that, like, the way that I describe it quickly is a small but politically powerful group of religious conservatives sort of tanked. Uh, proposal for sex ed mm. uh, kind of like the going back and forth in the rationale but it had a lot to do with the fact that Planned Parenthood was involved with a committee that uh recommended it mm. and because it had that association. They did not like it. <laughs> yeah.
3: Now, you right. did a pretty deep dive onto, yeah. into that story. I don't want to rehash the whole thing here.
0: It, yeah. It's it's a very long, it, it very convoluted, uh, and has a lot of inside baseball Worcester politics in it. Oh, uh, so. yeah.
3: And that was part of – that was
0: – I remember just uh, talking
3: to a friend outside the day that came out, or the, actually maybe the day after that came out. Yeah. Because you did that story, and then Clive McFarlane had a savage column. On oh the yeah, subject, that was too. dear dear John or something. No, yeah. no, no,
0: no, that was before that. The, yeah, he did a lot of great reporting on on that whole thing. And, and it was,
3: it, I mean, it was such a high watermark for Worcester Worcester journalism that week. And <laughs> that, was, that was a good one. It was it was seeing people just you know like it's good to watch reporters and columnists and they are not the same thing for those of you out there right. <laughs> in listener land please um, opinion uh, columnists are opinion driven and viewpoint driven and reporters are reporting facts and mm-hmm. they are human and they have their perspective but that is not what's driving the story that yeah 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 journalism 101 um, but yeah that was such a great moment of seeing very diverse Writers There was a like, I believe it was Scott O'Connell, a um, yep. just s- straight up, bo- you know, just just the facts, ma'am. Straightforward story that was very clear and made it under easy to understand what was going on. Right, right. And those two other stories just made it, you know, there was this three perspective points to look at the story from, and it was fantastic. And I really do. I mean, the fact that they were all within the same right corporate structure. Yeah. Um that usually is not helpful for separate per- <laughs> separate perspectives but in this case it worked very very well.
0: Was it? Did that story come out yeah, uh, yeah I, I guess it was all in the same corporate structure.
3: Yeah, because you guys, yeah, uh, yeah, it was before you were folded in, but right, you were still right.
0: owned by Gatehouse at that point.
3: Right, okay, yeah, yeah, I remember now. Being more managed by Landmark at yeah, that point.
0: Yeah, r- right, okay, yeah, sorry. <laughs> Couldn't keep my media consolidation timeline together. I, I can't remember anything anymore. <laughs> I just assumed
3: that I worked for the Gardner News,
0: Yeah, right, right. <laughs> and that's it. Yeah, but that, that whole fall, that whole school year basically was just a reporting gold mine. As far as the public schools were concerned, just so many issues that are just meaty, timely, uh, indicative of the sort of wider uh, cultural and political battle that we're having in the country. I mean, all this stuff about uh, the, the push for racial equity and accountability measures on the superintendent and, and the way that she pushed back on it is just like, wow. You know, that, that was like a – that was a, a, an excellent – Not excellent for Worcester, but excellent thing for reporting. (laughs) Yeah,
3: it's like, well, I had an editor uh, back at OC Weekly when I was there Yeah, who would always describe election season as being, he always felt like the publisher in, um, uh, who is it, Camus the Plague? Yeah, who's that? Uh, everybody else is panicking and and you know full of despair, and he's like, "Ah, this is wonderful." <laughs> yeah, right. Right. Yeah, I'm afraid there's something kind of ghoulish about our profession. I really can't do anything about that. Yeah, right. I know, I know? I just write about rock and roll. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Th- now, was there any movement on that story
0: in recent days, or there has know? not been any movement on, on the sex head story? No. Uh, they, made they made the mayor made some somewhat vague promises to uh, form a committee to choose a new curriculum. And they keep using this somewhat intangible timeline of like just saying that the state is going to come out with recommendations and they're probably going to come out with recommendations in the fall and after the election. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Well, I think Uh, that's
3: going to shape a lot of the
0: discussion. (laughs) Oh yeah. No, I can't imagine with, with so many candidates running just the way that, you know city politics works this is such a hot button issue that i can't imagine anyone's going to even want to touch it no, no no it might be in in a challenger's best interest to but the the not not to get too into the weeds but the people the most opposed to what i would consider to be a modern uh sex ed curriculum also get the most votes on the school committee making it a very tough issue to run on <laughs> yeah yeah so, so i don't know i i'm not i i don't know if i was put in the position to advise a, a candidate i want to do i i would have no advice actually <laughs>
3: yeah I, I i i don't know i think this election is um there's a lot going on and i think yeah. it's going to be a really interesting now we have the preliminary election september 10th
0: September tenth, next so Tuesday. That will yep.
3: tell. That will tell quite a bit. Yeah, it's true. It's All true. right. All right. So uh, also this week in Wisteria and today's Wisteria column, you actually wrote that like a week ago. Before yeah, right. Because I, I had
0: to go on vacation and given our, our our new deadlines, I was I was like, you know what, I'm just gonna instead of trying to do anything remotely newsworthy for the current week, I'm just going to do uh, list out a couple of my uh, uh, old man shakes fist at sky. Gripes about Worcester and chief among them. I think about this every time I see a public bus in this city, they're always advertising rideshare services. They are, and it's I'm glad I'm so glad you said something because I'm always
3: like I drive home about the same time every day, so I'm always behind the same bus on Lincoln Street and I
0: see it every day. It's always right in front of me, it's always Uber or Lyft, and what like. Sure. Okay. Look at it on the surface. Yeah, it's a good place for a rideshare company to advertise. And yeah, I mean, like, w- w- what's the harm in it? But then, if you like, if you really study the motives of these Silicon Valley rideshare companies, the project is to supplant public transportation, like in general. Yeah. Like that. That is like they. They want like Uber rolled out that proposal for Uber, like big Ubers that ran on fixed routes. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, a little yeah. while ago and it was, you know, panned on Twitter is, you know, you're just trying to make the, make a, a bus, but you know, instead of using, uh, using tax money and, and doing it in, in the public good, you want to do it for profit, like bus for profit. And, uh, <laughs> so like, why would the WRTA in just given that that is the project of a rideshare company, allow them to advertise? Like they should just be, they should be like, no. Like we're 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 you're a competitor. We're a public sector version of the thing that you were trying to be. I mean, are they a
3: would they even be allowed to turn it down? Turn it down though. I don't mean just. uh, I mean I
0: imagine there's got to be guidelines about what the 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 RTA network is very heavily regulated. So it's possible they just can't say no. Yeah, but they should change that rule. They should change that regulation. But. like like it's just such a, a baffling thing to me that you would allow some a a uh like a a Silicon Valley project that is literally designed to undermine you, to advertise on you.
3: (laughs) I sense Gary Rosen's doing in all of (laughs) that.
0: Yeah. No, but but yeah, I mean, but
3: seriously, it is, I mean, it is such a weird, complicated subject when you get really into it because we're at this point where we're having this discussion about what to do with the buses. Right. Do we, should we be paying for them? Do we need them? Do we make them free?
0: Right. Um, I love the conversation about making them free. Uh, I think that that's that's a productive conversation unlike uh the the very uh geriatric notion of just replacing them with ubers uh, yeah is is, uh, is is a little bit classist and uh a lot of bit classist actually and um i don't like it uh <laughs> well i mean i know i pay i pay s- I, I will take an Uber or I'll
3: Lyft from, mm-hmm. I don't actually do Uber, but I yeah. mean, I'll do, I'll take Lyft home from work and I don't live that far. And it's usually about six something bucks.
0: Right. Right. Um, that is a lot more than the bus. There's a lot more. It's like three or four times as much. Yeah. And you can't, you know you can't spend that much money every day if you're not making if you're making minimum wage and you got to get across the town every day to get to your job you can't take an Uber every day, you just you, you can't and uh, it's also like um, sort of a a self fulfilling not a self fulfilling prophecy but like it's a it's a it's a cycle that you can spiral into where all right if you're like okay everyone don't take the bus just take Ubers then the the ridership of the bus decreases, and as the ridership of the bus decreases, so does the funding, and then when the funding decreases, the routes and route frequency of the routes also decrease, thereby making the bus even more useless. It becomes a spiral. Yeah, it spirals out of control, and the only way to fix it is to increase route frequency and the number of routes. You need to invest more money into it, mm. and that's not the conversation we're having. We're ha- The conversation we're having is uh, – is, like, what do we do with this this husk of a, a public transit? Uh, like, what do, we, what do we do? We got to do something uh, innovative it, when, like, the clear answer is just, no, we need to put more money into it so that it works. But no one would dare say that. Uh, instead, we've got, like, these crazy ideas like, oh, we'll just get a trolley car that'll go uh, to all the white people spots. and Yeah. yeah you know what I mean? I mean... <laughs> the basic the, the the basic like underlying
3: need strikes me as somebody who lives in either like main south or great brook valley and has to work in, work in grafton hill. Yeah. That's a hard both those places. That's not a straight route. Yeah, it's not a straight route. You have to transfer on that.
0: Yeah. Right. And I mean the the and bus runs so infrequently and that that you really need Like they don't make it easy for you. It's not like Boston where you can hop on a 66 once every 20 minutes. When I lived in Boston, I took the bus all the time and it was easily the best and cheapest way to get around the city in Worcester. Our bus, our our bus system is like a joke because it's just been through years and years of austerity and cuts. And it's, it's not something that's valued by either the state or the city administration right now, which is a shame uh, for a, a lot of reasons.
3: Ah well, yeah. there we go. I have
0: I have feelings about the bus. Yeah. <laughs> I,
3: it's it's so funny because I used to when I was a kid I used to take the bus when I was a teenager because yeah. I, I didn't start driving until I was my I, I came home from college so I was yeah. like twenty one, <laughs> and so yeah I remember taking the bus everywhere but that was in California it was they different had a, they had a good bus they had a pretty good bus actually I yeah hear it's not if the bus is
0: if the bus is good people will use it yeah the bus in Worcester you never know when it's going to show up and it might it might be this hour it might be the next hour. And it's, it's not the bus's fault. It's the fact that we don't invest in it.
3: Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. So, you know, I think that... the So sex ed in buses and sex ed on buses, these are things that we're going to be talking about again in, yeah. probably as soon as they, all the election's
0: over with. Yeah, right, right. I love it.
3: <laughs> yeah. All right. That um, wraps up another edition of Worcester Culture Watch. As always, our theme music was composed by DJ Manipulator. Thanks, and we'll be back soon.